Well, God, show us what it means to wait for you. Amen. One truth that there is about life is that there will be times in life when we have to wait. And then, because we have to wait, the question upon us is, how are we going to wait? Now, I fail miserably at waiting because I'm not a good person about waiting. I'm very impatient. You can ask my family when we're going to be going somewhere when I'm ready. Well, of course, that means it's time to go. And um, I've gotten better over the years, but I still am one to go out in the car and then eventually start beeping the horn to remind everybody that it's now past time to go. Um, I think for me, though, the, the time that I show my impatience in waiting takes place on the days when I go down to Atlanta to see my parents. I'll be going next Sunday after church, and you would think I would know this by now, that inevitably, whenever I drive through Atlanta, there will be traffic. Uh, if any of y'all ever been down to Florida or somewhere south and had to go through Atlanta, you know what I mean. It could be three in the morning, and there's going to be traffic in Atlanta. And I know that every time when I go down there and when I get through Knoxville and start heading down and go through Dalton and then getting closer to the north end of Atlanta, I know there's going to be traffic. But every single time, I still get furious because there's traffic. And I do the whole darting out into this lane because this one's going faster, which as soon as I do that, that means this lane's going to stop. So I jump back over here and jump up, you know, and just... And by the time I finally get through the traffic and I'm driving to my parents' house, it takes me about 15 minutes to calm down. And I know all this is going to happen. Today's parable is about waiting and how we wait while we wait. Now this parable, we've read several parables over the last several weeks, and it might be good to just kind of get a context to things. And I'll do a little timeline here, okay? Um, we started this fall um, after Jesus had entered into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, when the people laid down palm branches in their coats and pra praised you know, the coming of the Son of David. And then right after that, he goes into the temple and turns over the, the tables and, and declares to the religious leaders that they've turned this temple into a, a den of robbers. And then, and these were our focus for several weeks, Jesus tells several parables where he condemns these um, religious leaders, these Jewish leaders, because they're supposed to be shepherds of the flock of their sheep, but instead they're more like wolves among the sheep. Well, then there's a back and forth between the, um, the religious leaders and Jesus. The religious leaders are trying to trip Jesus up to expose him as a phony. It doesn't work. And then Jesus goes on this long tirade that I skipped. We didn't read that one, but he calls out the religious leaders. And then all of a sudden it stops. And Jesus goes on a lament for Jerusalem. Sad that Jerusalem would not listen to the prophets that God had sent them. And then he says that pretty soon all this before you, all this temple will be reduced to rubble. Disciples are scratching their heads and wondering. And Jesus is not only talking about the temple being destroyed, which it would be, but also about his own life. 
because soon he starts to talk about um, that he's going to be going away. And that there will be those that come and proclaim to be the Messiah, but there'll be false messiahs. There'll be wars and there'll be rumors of wars. There'll be lots of chaos. There'll be lots of hypocrisy after he's gone. And then he talks about this, that the coming of the Son of Man. And he, and he paints it with great imagery, like that the sun won't shine, the moon won't shine. There'll be chaos in the whole land, but the Son of Man will come. And then he says, in the meantime, you won't know when that happens. You don't know the day, you don't know the hour. Instead, be awake and ready. And then right after that, we get four parables. This was the second one. All four of them talk about what to do while they're waiting for the coming of the Son of Man. And then, and I'm going to go back, just push my timeline back over here. Right after those four parables, and we'll, we'll read the last one next week. After those four parables, we turn into chapter 26 of Matthew. And it talks about that the religious leaders plot to kill Jesus. They paid you this money. Jesus celebrates his last supper, institutes the Lord's Supper. He goes and prays in Gethsemane. Then he's arrested and there's a trial and then he's killed. Three days later, by faith, we proclaim that Jesus rose from the dead. Forty days after that, he ascends up into heaven. And the book of Acts says the disciples were all looking up there and he says, well, he's going to come back that same way. And then began for the church the time of waiting for the Son of Man to come back. And actually that is an um, issue that the very first book of the New Testament, which most likely was 1 Thessalonians, written by Paul, that's one of the issues Paul takes up. First he reassures the, the, the Christians that those who have died in faith will be raised up with Christ. But he also says this, he is coming back, but he's going to come back like a thief in the night. Now that was written, Thessalonians was written about 20 or 30 years after Jesus was gone, after he'd gone up to heaven. And now, in the book of Matthew, that's 30 or 40 years after that. In other words, it had been a long time of waiting for Jesus to come back. And now they get to a parable today about waiting. What does it mean to wait? while you wait for the coming of Jesus. This parable that we get today, it says, the, the king, it says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Then, then is that time of waiting after Jesus is gone and as they wait for Jesus to come back, then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. The kingdom of heaven being not how it is up in heaven, but the heaven being made by God in the here and now of life. Here is how you wait. It's part of the kingdom of heaven right now. And then he tells this parable of the ten bridemaids. Literally the ten virgins. Five of them are wise. Five of them are foolish. Now, let me do another history, short history lesson here. Maybe it's good to, re to remind ourselves about this whole um, the custom of marriage in that day. 
There first there is a betrothal, betrothal, the, when, when they, okay, the, the male um, links up with the female family and pays the family of the bride money. And that's called the betrothal, betrothal. Is that how you say that word? Betroth, that word. Okay, I could spell it kind of, but I can't say it. Now they're engaged, okay? And usually that engagement period lasts about a year. It's the same thing with, with Joseph and Mary, okay? Um, last, the engagement lasts about a year. The, the husband goes to the house that the, they will be living in, and he gets it prepared. The, the female the, gets her life in order and, and prepares to be leaving her family's home to move with the husband. About a year, then it's announced the groom is going to come. And there's lots of pomp and circumstance to what happens next. The groom leaves his house to go to where the bride is, comes and gets the bride, and then there's a procession by light at night where they process the bride, the bridegroom to where the groom is going to live. And there's a tent set up, and I forgot the name of the tent, but the bride and the groom go into the tent and consummate their marriage. And then they go into the groom's house and there's a big party. Now, of course, my first thought was, anyway, the tent and all these people around. Anyway. <laughs> the role of the bridesmaids is to usher the groom and the bride to the celebration. Five of them are wise. Five of them are foolish. That word there is the word we get moron from. Pretty harsh. And a couple things about this parable that bug me. One of them, you know whose fault it is why the five of them look foolish? It says the bridegroom was delayed. He was late. If the bridegroom hadn't been late, if he'd have been on time, none of this would have happened. So we could blame the bridegroom in this parable. And also, what is this about the, the ones who are labeled wise? They're, they're refusing to share. You know, doesn't Jesus talk about things like sharing what you have? If you have two coats, give one away and things like that. And then at the end of the story, when Jesus gives his point, he says to, um, to keep awake because you don't know the day or the hour. Well, in the story itself, all of them fell asleep. So what, what is this about? Well, one thing I think it's not about, I don't think this parable talks about who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell in the sense that you have to do these certain things, you have to have enough oil in your lamp in order to be good enough to get into heaven. You know, like if, you, if you've done these certain things and you've earned your way in, I don't believe that at all. No, what I think is about is how do we live our lives as we wait? The job of the bridesmaid is to be ready for the groom to come, to have enough oil so that they can usher the bridegroom and the bride to the party. Well, the five ones labeled foolish fail to be who they are supposed to be. They're supposed to be bridesmaids, they have a role, and they fail in doing it. 
In other words, this parable is about being who you are as you wait. What does that mean? Well, life itself, as I said earlier, involves times of waiting. And I don't mean just the waiting of Jesus to come back, which we trust will happen, because frankly, we have no idea. So we've got to live life. But there will be times of waiting. We have a friend back in Knoxville, and actually, if it wasn't for her and her husband, me and Beth would have never met. She had a cancer scare just about a month ago. Jill's her name, and she's barely 40, if that. And she thought she might have leukemia. So for a couple weeks or so, they were left to wait to see the test results, which turned out to be negative. She did not have leukemia. But she had to wait. And then there's others who their test results come back different. And now their life is going to be turned upside down in a whole different way. And they're going to have to wait. Last week we celebrated and remembered the saints who have been with us. And we lifted up those who had passed away in this past year. And, and Doreen Jansen was here last week. Um, Doreen is um, Bob Jansen's daughter. She came to the service and she sent me a text um, a couple days afterwards. A very nice text. But in it she said something to the effect of, I'm doing okay, Scott, but I still miss my dad. She's still waiting for a time when things will get back to not normal and not as they were before, but into some new that she is, will eagerly embrace. Doreen's doing okay, but then there's others, some of them who were here last week, who still struggle mightily with waiting for how life will be after they have grieved for their loved one. They're having to wait. Then there's other situations for all of us where uncertainties might come into our future. I had coffee with a friend this week, and she's still entangled in the court of law with her ex-husband who is doing all he can to try to gouge her in lots of ways because he's, he's a piece of work. And she's uncertain when all that is going to end and she can move on. How do we live while we wait? Well, remember who you are. These bridesmaids forgot who they are, forgot who they were supposed to be. Remember who you are. Who are we? We are loved children of God who have embraced the love of God and confirmed it in our baptism and in our confession of faith. Remember who you are, a loved child of God. And then practice being that loved child of God. When, Mark, when Matthew's audience would be reading this story, and if they were going to be reminded to be who they are, they would just be encouraged to look back into Matthew 
And read again the things that Jesus said to do. Read again the things that Jesus did. Read again and, and explore how to live that out in today's world. You are a loved child of God. Now practice being that loved child of God. In our first text that Jarrah read this morning, it talks about how the people of Israel have gone into, uh, they've gone through the wilderness where God has provided for them, and then they've entered into the promised land, and they're beginning to take over the promised land, and Joshua says to them, y'all need to abandon the gods that you had when you were back in Egypt and serve the God who has carried you through this whole time in the wilderness and has provided for you and continues to provide for you. You need to make that choice. But then he says, I can't make that choice for you, but as for me and my household, we are going to serve the Lord. And that's a choice that they are called to make every single day. That's what we're called to be. To remind ourselves of who we are. Remind ourselves that we are loved. And then even as we wait, practice being the people God has created us to be. That's a comfort and that's a calling for each of us. And thanks be to God that God continues to love us. And thanks be to God for God's grace and love. Amen.